This episode of the MedTalk podcast is brought to you by MedTech Innovation Expo, the UK and Ireland's leading event for medical design and manufacturing technology. Register now at medtechexpo.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of the MedTalk podcast. As part of our Meet the Speaker series ahead of MedTech Innovation Expo, we talked to our keynote speaker for day two on the MedTech Innovation conference stage. Karen Taylor is director of the Deloitte Center for Health Solutions and she will be presenting the findings of research into diagnostic innovation and the future of diagnostics. We talk a little about the areas the researchers delve into and discuss what changes we might need to see ahead of more widespread adoption. You can hear more from Karen on day two of the MedTech Innovation Expo on the MedTech Innovation Conference stage in association with MediLink at 10.30 on Thursday the 9th of June. First of all, Karen, thank you very much for joining us on our Meet the Speaker series of the MedTalk podcast ahead of MedTech Innovation Expo. Before we get on to uh, a little bit of an outline about uh, your talk, uh, can you just give us a bit of background about yourself? Sure. So I lead Deloitte's Centre for Health Solutions, which is a small research team within Deloitte that supports our healthcare and life sciences industry teams um, in their work, but also produces um, thought leadership and blogs and podcasts um, that feature the research we've been doing to share with anybody who's interested, really. Well, I'm going to guess that our audience are going to be interested. Um, so, but first of all, you've um, it's the title of your talk is innovation in diagnostics. And um, prior to uh, us setting up this call, you you mentioned that the, the research is still ongoing. So, can you uh, give us a little bit of a teaser as to what can what aspects that you're going to be looking at? Sure. So, so the research is is called actually the future of diagnostics, mm-hmm. um, and and we're looking at the the impact really that the the COVID pandemic has had on our view of diagnostics, where it takes place, um, what types of technologies are needed, what are the skills and talent that are needed by the industry to both develop the diagnostics and healthcare to be able to adopt new diagnostics um, in clinical pathways. So our our research involves some surveys, interviews, um, and um, lots of literature reviews. And those things together will be brought together in a report, which we're hoping to publish in June. Um, I accepted the invitation to do this conference, knowing that even if the report wasn't quite finished, our research would be finished, and I'd be able to then share that um, at the conference. Um, It's covering imaging, it's covering um, IVDs and digital health diagnostics. So it's looking at the whole range of, of diagnostics, which in itself is a bit of a challenge because some of the regulatory issues that affect IVDs are different for imaging, as our audience will know. But trying to cover all of that is proving quite a challenge. But um, I think we're quite confident in what we're trying to do. You know, we understand um, the the current demands, challenges on the diagnostic industry, Um, not least the fact that we have in the UK had, and and Europe to be honest, and our research is Europe focused, not just UK focused, that there have been um, backlogs in in the the sort of routine types of diagnostics that we've got used to, 
that we have these backlogs. We also have a constrained diagnostic industry in terms of the availability of imaging, CT, MRI scans, for example, being able to um, quickly turn around tests at laboratories. And these, the, these sort of challenges in terms of capacity mean that there is a real focus on how we can improve diagnostics to benefit patients. Because we all know, and I've done a previous report on this, um, the, the real economics of early diagnosis. And if we're not diagnosing early enough, then we're shoring up a huge problems for our, for our public, for our patients, and actually for the healthcare system. It's an interesting area that you just touched upon there because it's, well, it's, it's timely in, in, in a sense because of all the strain that's currently on the health service. I mean, how valuable do you think that your research is going to be in terms of, you know, helping health services, not, not just in the UK, but as you said, in Europe, you know, tackle backlogs that have come about because of COVID? Well, what, what I, we hope is is that it, it isn't an issue for for the health service and or the diagnostic industry separately really it's about improving the collaboration and partnerships that we've really seen coming to the fore during the pandemic but to make those um, an ingrained part of the infrastructure that these collaborations and partnerships that diagnostics are being developed that in the way that is needed you know there's a lot of innovation out there we've seen lots of new types of diagnostics technologies being um, developed during the pandemic um, we've we've got used to many of us at home testing of, of whether or not we have covid um, we expect more convenience as a public to for diagnostics yet our traditional model has been a, a, a referral model you expect you have to go to your doctor to be referred either to um, local hub or hospital for a blood test or if, if something more sinister is suspected, to be referred to hospital for, first of all, an outpatient and then a diagnostic. So there is this sort of delay and, and a triaging of diagnostics. Yet we now, as a public, or the public, has become expecting more convenience about where they can access diagnostics and a quicker access to diagnostics. Now, not, not you can't give all of the diagnostics no open open um, ended access to patients you've got to have some way of of, of monitoring it of controlling it um, if only to manage costs but also because people might think they need a particular diagnostic some may not so i'm not saying there's anything wrong with a triaging system it's just that we need to to upgrade the clinical pathways that allow people to self refer or be referred to get those initial diagnostics and I think that's what we hope to be able to find some solutions. What we're looking for, actually, is good practice examples. I've found in all of the research I've done over the years that there's always someone somewhere who's really got a solution to a problem that everybody else says is intractable. So finding those solutions and share, sharing them through the research, because adoption of innovation is really one of the things we do tend to have a bit of a lag on. Well. I'll come to your last point there, is that we do have, tend to have a bit of a, a lag on adoption of innovation. Why do you think that is? Um, I, th I think it's a number of reasons. I think there's partly um, a risk aversion to innovation. Um, there's also, you know, clinical pathways are 
are, have been developed with experts, clinic, clinical experts. They've been tried and tested. And so when some innovation comes along that will disrupt that pathway, you really have to have um, faith in, in the technologies that is going to disrupt the, the pathway and really understand what the evidence base is for why this technology will improve either the clinician's workload and their 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 ability to to do better throughput of diagnostics or and just as important if not more important will improve outcomes for patients so having an evidence base to demonstrate to the health system why this diagnostic technology will be better is really critical and that isn't always there um, but then at the same time there's got there's this concern about you know will this what will this harm patients in any way so the regulatory approval is also critical and then the regulators themselves are catch, trying to catch up with all of the innovation that's happening um, in some ways people say that the regulators may be a bit ahead of the healthcare system in this particular case but um, those are quite some, some quite big tensions that you have to manage yeah i can imagine and uh, one of your earlier answers you said there's been like a new a new range of diagnostics that have, been, that have come about since the pandemic, uh, since the pandemic started. Can you give us an insight as to one or two that may have caught your eye? So, I mean, we've written in in a number of our research pieces previously about um, the need for some point of care diagnostics to have more diagnostics that can be done at the point either in people's homes, as, as I've already mentioned, or when you visit your, your GP or your practice nurse so that they can try and get a quicker access to what may be going on uh, other than having to have this delay of a referral. And point-of-care diagnostics have been around for a long time, but the way that funding flows in the NHS means that there hasn't been an incentive in primary care to invest in them or uh, enough education and knowledge about the the value and benefits of these diagnostics what we've seen with covid is a need for point of care diagnostics so it's not just covid tests but we've seen an increased uptake in things like um, at home urine testing at home blood testing when it's been absolutely imperative that those patients do get a blood test but for whatever reason often because of their own comorbidities they can't or, or there wasn't the opportunity to go to a hospital or a clinic or a laboratory to get the tests. So we have seen that adoption, but will we revert back to um, not providing patients with those techno- with those technologies? So there's a there's a funding barrier that needs to be overcome as well as a as a sort of a cultural change, a shift in mindset of both clinicians and, to be fair, to the public. I mean, until the pandemic, the public was resistant to at-home testing as a, a way of of being able to get into the healthcare system. So there's a, a lot of education and training required here, but it's not it's not um, insurmountable as we showed. We could we can educate the public how to do a COVID test. So those lateral flow tests initially based on the pregnancy test that's been around for a long time and people have been using those lateral flow pregnancy tests, but the innovation was there, the technology was there, but it it wasn't expanded into other areas in the way that we've just seen it being done. And as I say now, there are lots of other tests that can be done at home. They're not being done at scale at home. And there is always a danger of whether they're done as correctly 
as they should be. So contamination, we've again seen that. So I think the technology isn't the issue. The te- the the issue is change management. It's culture. It's culture change. It's education and training in the lightest sense of those words. Although you know there is some skills differences needed. You've, you've mentioned- I'll stop there because I could, could go on forever, and I and I need to pause for breath. <laughs> it's not a problem. There, there was just one thing that I might actually end end up getting you to expand upon because funding and cultures are all well and good, but how is there um, is there also a need for a change of policy level here as well? Well, the um, clearly what happened during the pandemic is that the COVID tests were provided free, mm-hmm. so so there was no cost involved either to the health to primary care or to there was a cost there was a cost to the government but not to the nhs and the um, patients um, having said that patients the public not everybody because we have to also think about equality of access here but a lot of people are more cognizant of their own health and, and the risks to their own health and want to understand better their health and do something to improve their own immunity um, i've not done very well on that with my cold by the way because this is my fourth cold in four <laughs> months but knowing how to improve immunity is 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 something that the public have said they want to do so they're investing their own money in tests but are they, or in apps and things, but are they investing in the right things? Do we not need a better um, validation method to provide that assurance? And what happens, and, and this is some of the things we haven't worked through, when people are relying on tests, and my voice is going to go now, mm-hmm. <coughs> but are relying on tests that haven't been accredited. So there is a really important role for regulators. The regulators stepped up to the mark during COVID in validating and approving the tests that were used by the NHS in a very, very short time. They can't be expected to do that as quickly all the time. Um, And other things were delayed. But those are the sorts of culture mindset changes. And the funding, um, again, there are so many demands on NHS funding. There are so much demands on public funding. So there has to be a balance. So it has to be this risk risk versus benefit, cost-benefit analysis of the benefits of um, the different types of diagnostics. Yeah, uh, I, I hear you loud and clear there. Um, just, um, you know, I think you, we may be going over a little bit of old ground here, but you mentioned that your research covers a, a few areas. With your, with your talk in mind, which, which bits in particular are you, are you going to be highlighting? So I think... I think there's there's several different focuses. Focuses. What's the plural for focus? Um, there are several different areas that we will be looking at. The the sort of innovations you're seeing in imaging, which means that you can not just, you know, you've got these very expensive CT, MRI, PET scans, um, and they tend to be and for for good reasons in hospitals. But you have seen some innovation developing um, mobile ultrasounds, mobile X-rays um, that can be used initially to eliminate some issues. Though we'll be looking at those innovations in in portability, but also in using things like um, artificial intelligence to improve the accuracy um, and speed of diagnosis in in, in imaging, um, and some of the um, approaches to the skills and talent of the um, 
imaging workforce that have been happening and um, will need to happen further. So, so there is a, a focus on imaging. Then there's a focus on IVDs. The new in vitro diagnostic regulations are coming into place now. It does put many more um, requirements on companies to who are getting wanting approval for their diagnostics. I've seen two things emerging. Um, people deciding to go to um, direct consumer tests, uh, testing rather than trying to get them accepted as a, a medical device. Mm-hmm. Um, and or and partly to gather the evidence to then be able to prove it to the regulators that they can get acceptance as a medical device. And then there's also where they launch their new products. Um, and so a tendency to launch products in the US where the uh, regulators are seen as being more open to innovation um, and where the barriers of costs seem to be, or, pay, or payers paying for these tests are are different and they're there, but they're just not the same as we're seeing sometimes in, in, in the health service here. So that could mean there's a delay in the UK or European population getting access to some of these novel and improved diagnostics. So we'll cover that. Um, we'll also be covering this increase in digital diagnostics. Okay. Well, Karen, thank you for giving us a little bit of a brief tour uh, through uh, through your talk there. Um, for those who are listening, you can catch uh, Karen's keynote address on day two at MedTech Innovation Expo. And we look forward to hearing more from you then, Karen. Thank you. Thank you.